Well, good morning to everyone. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, continue our, continue our study in Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> I know I'm not alone when I say how thrilled I am to have Julie back with us. It just feels more normal. We've got a bunch of our kids home from school, and Julie's back. Uh, it's family hour, isn't it? Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how thankful we are for this time that you've given us to meet together with our brothers and sisters and to worship your matchless name. And Father, I beg of you that you would do that, that you'd give each of us of thy spirit and enable us to worship in spirit and in truth. We know this, you're worthy of all of our worship. Father, I pray you'd, you'd cause us today to from the heart worship you and praise you, that we might leave here believing in and trusting in, being thrilled with Christ our Savior. Well, we pray for ourselves, Father, we pray for our children's classes, and we pray for your people everywhere they meet together this morning to worship. Father, in this dark, dark day in which we live, cause your gospel to shine forth in, in, its, in its glory, the glory of Christ our Savior. And Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for all the many blessings that you've given us, how you've given us everything that's required to have perfect life, perfect righteousness before thee. And Father, we thank you for the physical, material blessings, how you've blessed us so abundantly. We're thankful. We're thankful for bringing Julie back to us. Father, how often we pray for our loved ones who are sick and hurting, and we thank you when you answer those prayers, when you're merciful to your people. Father, for those that are in, in the deep valley of trouble and trial right now. Father, we pray that you'd heal, that you'd comfort, that you'd deliver, and above all, you'd give a special portion of your presence. Comfort the hearts of your people with your presence, we pray. And all these things that we ask, in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior, amen. I've titled the lesson this morning, The Blessing of Knowing the Mystery. Now, we've been looking here in Ephesians 1 of all the spiritual blessings that God has given his people. They're all in Christ. We've seen the blessing of God's electing love. He chose the people, put them in his son. We've seen the blessing of God's predestinating love. When God predestined to make his elect people to be just like his son. We've seen the blessing of acceptance. Where sinful men and women like you and me are accepted by a thrice holy God in Christ, through union with our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the blessing of redemption, where Christ has redeemed his people by his blood. He's fully and completely put their sin away by his blood, paid their sin debt. Now when you put all that together, really that's the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in a nutshell, isn't it? And that gospel, that way of saving sinners, the way that God makes his people righteous before him, that's an absolute mystery to the natural man. How God saves a sinner is a mystery that no human being, I don't care how smart they are, can figure it out. 
It must be revealed to us. Years ago, a lady I worked with, she asked me one day, what is it that I believe? And I told her. And she looked at me, she said, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I'm not surprised. Are you? the, The way God saves sinners, that's a mystery to the natural man. And the only way we can know it is if God is pleased to reveal that to our hearts by grace. Now, a mystery is a whodunit. I've told you many times, I love to, when we go on vacation, that's the only time of year I, I read for pleasure novels and the different things like that. I like mysteries. I like trying to figure out who, who did the crime, who, who's the guilty, who done it. Well, if the Holy Spirit's ever pleased to reveal Christ to our hearts, we'll know who done it, won't we? Christ did it all. Because he is all. And if we have Christ and we see him, By faith, we believe Him. We'll have the answer to the mystery. It'll be obvious to us. God saved sinners in His Son by the doing and dying of His Son. Our text begins in verse 8, where Paul says, Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. Now, the Lord makes this mystery known to his people in God's wisdom and God's God's prudence. He always does it in the right time, in the right place, doesn't he? With the right people, the people he chose to save, the people for whom Christ died. And the mystery that Paul's talking about, like I said before, this is the mystery. How does God save a sinner? And the way the Lord reveals the answer, how does God save a sinner? It's through the preaching of Christ. See, Christ is the answer to the mystery, isn't he? Well, somebody's got to preach Christ the Savior so that we'll know how God saves sinners. We're not our Savior. We don't initiate this thing by our will and our works. Christ is the Savior. The only way we're going to know the answer to the mystery is if somebody preaches Christ the Savior to us. And you can flip anywhere in this book and see the answer to this mystery. The scriptures are full. Every passage of scripture is written to reveal this one mystery. How God saves sinners. It's in Christ. The Old Testament is full of pictures of it. Pictures and types. Um, How was Noah saved from the flood? In the ark. How's the firstborn not die that, that night of the first Passover? Being under the blood. The lamb died. The blood was applied. How is it that the sin of the people was was forgiven in type and picture on the day of atonement the death of the sacrifice the blood sprinkled before the lord the whole testament is written to tell us christ is coming to do it all and the new testament is full of scriptures plainly spoken saying christ has come and he's done it all he's accomplished all the salvation of his people i want to just confine myself to our text this morning and look at a brief answer that Paul gives us here in these verses, how is it that God saves sinners? This is a mystery. Number one, the salvation of God's elect is the will of God. Verse 9 says, that the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together, I'm sorry, verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. See, the Father purposed the salvation of his people in himself. Well, when did he do that? It was before he created anything. Look back at verse 4. 
according as he hath chosen us in him, in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. The salvation of God's people is God's eternal purpose. See, God's eternal, isn't he? God never changes. So this was God's eternal purpose. It all began with him. The father elected a people to save. And he chose to make them just like his son. Even though he knew they'd be sinners. Even though he knew that they would fall in Adam. Even though the father knew all of his people, the people that he chose to save, when they're born into this world, they're going to be born natural enemies of God. Natural born enemies. And the father chose to save them anyway. That's God's eternal will and purpose. You see, since this is God's eternal will and purpose, this is a mystery to the natural man. There's never been a time. If you believe Christ, if you trust Christ, there's never been a time that God Almighty saw you outside of Christ. Even though we're born in sin, even though we fell in Adam, there's never been a time that the Father did not see His people as righteous in Christ. Because that's His eternal will. Now, that's a mystery, isn't it? How can that be? That's a mystery. It's a blessing, but it's a mystery, isn't it? See, everything about salvation, salvation, justification, righteousness, forgiveness, spiritual life, they're all eternal because God's eternal and it's always been in Him and His eternal purpose. Now that's a mystery to the natural man. And at least partly I understand why that's true. Because man, and that, that's all of us, the way we're born in this world, we're born with a spiritually dead nature. And our spiritually dead nature is so self-absorbed that we think everything started with us. <laughs> we think everything about us, concerning us, started when we were born. We think then that everything about our salvation has to be started by us, has to be started by our works and our will, what we do, what we don't do, what decisions that we make. We're so self-absorbed, that's what we all think by nature. Well, thank God that's not true. If that was true, there's not one person to ever be saved. Salvation started with God. It was purposed by God. It was purchased by God. It was applied by God, by God the Holy Spirit, by His will, and it's going to be perfected. It's going to be finished by God. He's going to do all the work. He's going to accomplish it all without any help, without any input from any of His people. He's going to do all of the saving all of the keeping, all of the glorifying for them. And if the Holy Spirit has been pleased to reveal Christ to you, you understand this mystery. And you're blessed. You're blessed. Why do you know the answer to this mystery? Somebody else doesn't. Well, all of us have family. They don't know this. Why do you know it and they don't? And bigger yet, why do you believe it and love it and somebody else doesn't? It's because God's been pleased to reveal it to you. That's why. That's a blessing. All right, number two, this is the mystery. The salvation of God's elect, it's all in Christ. It's all by the will of God. Now, God purposed it in himself. All of the reasons for salvation are found in God. In God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and not one 
of those reasons is found in man. Not one. I guess other than you say this, we're sinners that need to be saved. That's our contribution to this thing, isn't it? But as far as salvation goes, God did it all. He accomplished it all. See, God chose who he would save. He chose them before time began. God chose who he would save. He chose who would save them, how he would save them, and when he would save them. (laughs) See, it's the eternal will and purpose of God that his people all be saved in the Lord Jesus Christ by the doing and dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Father elected a people, how did he elect them? In Christ. In Christ. He put them in Christ. The Father trusted the salvation of his people to his Son. He trusted it all to him. The Father made salvation to be completely dependent upon the obedience and upon the sacrifice of Christ. Made it completely dependent on him. Christ had to come and obey the law, establish righteousness for his people. If he doesn't do it, it won't be done. All righteousness is dependent upon Christ. And all the forgiveness of sin, all of it is completely dependent on the blood of Christ's sacrifice. He must die to put away the sin of his elect. Now again, we're so full of ourselves, we think this has got to be in us, you know. And that's not true. Nobody is saved because they quit sinning. Nobody. The only way anybody is saved is because Christ died for them. He put their sin away by his blood. And nobody keeps their salvation because they now sin less than they used to before the Lord revealed himself to them. All we do is sin. The only way we can be saved is Christ shed his blood to put away the sin of his people. It all depends on Christ. All of it. It's all in him, in his person. It's all in his doing, in his obedience, in his sacrifice. It's all because of Christ. And absolutely nothing we do ever contributes to that righteousness or that salvation. That's the will and purpose of God. That it all be in his son. Now that is a mystery to the natural mind. It's just a mystery to our dead nature. We cannot see. How can it all be in Christ and I don't have to do anything? We're so dead we think we can do something. I mean, how dead do we have to be to think I can do something to add to what the the perfect Son of God has already done? That's dead, isn't it? Our will is so dead and so sinful, we can't even want to do anything good. Much less actually do it. (laughs) And even though Scripture is plain on this, it's plain on this truth, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now a kindergartner can understand what that's saying. I mean, we can't believe it, but a kindergartner can understand what that. There's nobody doesn't. No, not one. Not even one. And I tell you why we, even though Scripture is so plain, we still think we have the ability to do something that can impress God. Is because we're dead in sin. Listen, a dead mind, a dead, a spiritually dead mind cannot think right. A mind that's lost in sin cannot think right. A mind that's dead in sin cannot think living thoughts of, of God. It's, it's impossible. Now, do you know that? 
Do you know better than to think your salvation is somehow dependent on what you did to, to kind of initiate this thing? Do you know better than that? Do you know you can't make yourself righteous? I mean, you, and you find yourself. You believe Christ. You trust Christ. But you find yourself trying to, to do something good to, to, to make God happy with you. And you have to constantly know Christ is my righteousness. Do you know that? Do you know that you can't make yourself even a little bit less sinful? I, mean, I, hope, I hope we grow in, grow in grace. I hope we learn a little bit of self-control to maybe not outwardly sin as much, but this flesh is just as sinful and just as rotten as it ever has been, and I can't make it less so. Do you know that? Do you know that the only way you can be righteous is in Christ? The only way you can be holy is in Christ. The only way the Father can accept you and look on you in love is in Christ. It's got to be in Him. Do you know that? Do you know that your sin is so heinous, it's so filthy, it's left such a stain on your soul that the one and only way your wretched, vile sin can be put away is by the blood of God. You can't do it. You can't start scrubbing it. You can't start washing it away. It requires the blood of God. Do you know that? Do you know that the only hope you have of eternal life is the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's the kicker. Do you love it that way? Do you love it that all of your righteousness is in Christ? That all of your salvation is in Christ? That all of your forgiveness is found in Him? That the only hope you have is clinging to Him and Him alone? Do you love it that way? <laughs> Does that give hope and rest and peace for your soul? To cling to Christ? Then I'm telling you, if your answer to that question is yes, you're blessed of God. You are blessed of God. The only way you can love that is God made the mystery of His will known to you. That salvation's in Christ. And here's the third thing. God saves sinners the way that He does so that Christ gets all the glory. Now that's a mystery to the natural man. Boy, we want some glory. We don't care that Christ gets most of it, but you know, couldn't I have some of it? This is a mystery. Christ is going to get all the glory in this thing. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now the Father determined to save his people the way that he does. So eternally, not just now, but eternally, Christ is going to get all the glory for saving him. And here's a, here's a little hint for you. That's why God does everything. Everything God does is for one purpose, to glorify his son. That's what it says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's why God has done everything he's done, so we praise him. We praise His grace. We praise Christ the fountain of grace. We, that we praise Him. And when time is no more, and the Lord gathers all of His people together to be with Him forever, everybody there, in that place we call heaven, in that new creation, everybody there, is going to be given all of the praise and all of the glory to Christ who saved us. See, heaven is not a place of eternal vacation. Heaven is not a place where you get to rest and, and float around on a, on a cloud. 
I, I like vacation. I, I look forward to vacation. I, I normally plan it a year in advance, you know. And it's not real hard for us to, you know, when the kids were little, we try, try to plan vacations. We'd take them places and show them things. Now, it's really easy to plan our vacation. I just want to go sit on the beach and do nothing for about five or six days. I mean, it's not hard to plan. But, you know, after about five days of that, eh, I'm tired of laying here. Yeah. Heaven's not going to be a place of inactivity. Heaven's going to be a place where we worship and praise our God. It's not going to be, heaven's not going to be a place where you just get to enjoy the things that you do here on earth. It's not just going to be, you know, eternal fishing and eternal hunting and, the, and you know, the lake's always going to be stocked, you know. Um, Bob, you're not going to have to hunt, to, to, uh, you know, real hard finding out because they're, you know. That's not heaven. That's not heaven. The purpose of heaven is that everybody there will be glorifying Christ the Savior. And the purpose of heaven. Now this is a mystery to the natural man. Remember how we want some credit for what we've done. The purpose of heaven is not to give believers rewards in heaven for the things that they've done on earth. Now that's just foolish. It's, just, it's the most absurd thing that I've ever heard. That's works, not grace, isn't it? If we're going to be rewarded for what we've done here on earth, that's, that's works, not grace. Now listen, I never thought about this until I was preparing my notes. But maybe this will make this clear. Almighty God did not save his people by his grace here on earth. So that when we get to glory into his presence face to face, we can brag about our works. God didn't save us by his grace here on earth. So when we get to his presence face to face, he can reward us for our works. The reward is the reward of grace. Doesn't that just make sense? The purpose of heaven is not to give different believers different rewards. So this believer has more crowns than this one. And this believer has a bigger mansion than this one. So that we can spend eternity bragging to the fellow that has fewer crowns than me how I got more crowns than you. And maybe you won't even brag about it, but you just make sure you know he sees these more crowns on your head. You know, just gonna be sure. Or, you know, look at my bigger mansion. I got a bigger mansion than you know God didn't save his people on earth and reveal to us by faith. Now we see it through a glass dimly, but he did not reveal that to us here on earth so that we, and we get to heaven and start taking some of the, some of the credit there that we wouldn't take here. First Corinthians 129 says this, that God saved his people the way that he saved them so that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's true today, and it'll be true throughout eternity. <laughs> See, believers on earth know this. We've got nothing to boast in. Paul said, God forbid that I should boast. Now, I mean, you want to boast about what you've done for God? Can you start even scratching the surface of what the Apostle Paul did by God's grace? Paul said, after all that, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Christ the Lord. God forbid. Now, I'm not going to just, God forbid, that I brag on myself now and boast on myself now, start boasting on myself in glory when I'm in the presence of the Savior. No. And I tell you why that's a mystery to the natural man. Because we're so self centered. We're so full of ourselves. We actually think we deserve some credit and some recognition for the things that we've done here on earth. 
This is a mystery to the natural man. Everybody knows their sinful things are something they ought to be ashamed of. They're rags that are defiled with sin. This is the mystery to the natural man. Even our righteousnesses, those things we think we've done that are so good that will commend us to God, those things are rags defiled with sin. Now, do you know, do you know this, that the only reason you'll ever awake in glory in Christ's likeness is the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that? And do you love it that way? I mean, do you love it that he deserves all the glory and all the praise? I mean, we love gathering together in our worship service here. But sin does so easily beset us, doesn't it? Do you look forward to the day that sin won't won't interrupt that at all? Do you love it that way? Then you're blessed of God. The answer to that question is yes, you're blessed of God. God's made known unto you the mystery of his will and redemption. That Christ gets all the glory. Now let me give you two things about this in conclusion. First, look at Mark chapter 4. I think this is, this is very important. Being given the, the knowledge of this mystery, you know, that does not make God's people proud. God deliver us from ever acting proud that we know something somebody else doesn't. That we know things that people in false religion don't know. God forbid that we'd ever boast about that and think that we're so much better than somebody else. If God gives you the the knowledge of the mystery of his will, that'll humble a person. Not make us proud. We didn't figure this thing out. Now did you... Did you figure this thing out? Or did God reveal it to you? If you really know it and believe it and love it, God revealed it to you. Look here at Mark 4, verse 11. And he said, the master said unto them, unto the twelve, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. This is given to you. What do you have that hadn't been given to you? What is it that you know that God didn't reveal to you? (laughs) Not one thing. That having a knowledge of of this mystery, it humbles a person. It's not going to make us proud. I remember um, when I was in in high school, the student council, we went to this uh, seminar somewhere. Student councils from all over the state came, you know. And... uh, uh, you know, most many of you know, I went to Willisburg and uh, us pirates, we kind of pride ourselves, you know, on, on, on excellence. And they had this, uh, I don't know, contest or whatever it was, that everybody had to, had to get together and figure out the solution to, to this mystery. And uh, we finished first. We finished first. And they had a, like a psychologist, you know, like with, with each group. And what they were, what, then when you solve the mystery, what they were telling you is how your group dynamics work. So you can figure out group dynamics. That, that was the point of the exercise. But you know the point we got from it? When they got done explaining to us our group, group dynamics and we went out in the hall, nobody else was even finished yet. That's what, you know, pride, pride. 
Can you think of anything more disgusting for a child of God than pride of grace? God help us. And here's the second thing. If you know, this is going to thrill your heart, if you know this mystery, if God's revealed to you the mystery of His will, how God saves sinners, do you know what that makes you? A friend of God. Our Lord told His disciples, the Master doesn't tell servants what He's, what he's doing, but He tells His friends. Remember when the Lord appeared to, to Abraham there before He was getting ready to go to Sodom? And the Lord said, shall I hide this thing I'm going to do from Abraham? And he told him, you're my friend. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Abraham was called the friend of God. These disciples were called the friend of God. If God's revealed this mystery to you, if he's revealed Christ to your heart so that you know him and you believe him and you love him, you don't just love God's way of salvation. You love the Savior. You love the Lord. You love God. You know why? God's made you his friend. (laughs) You're as much a friend of God as the patriarch Abraham. You're as much a friend of God as the apostle Peter, the apostle James, the apostle John, the beloved disciple who leaned on the Lord's breast. I mean, that shows a pretty close relationship, doesn't it? You're as much a friend of God the apostle John, the beloved apostle. He loves you the same way he loved John. Knowing the mystery of God's will, that's blessing, isn't it? All right, hope the Lord bless that to you.